Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Hello, welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. And I've got two guests this week, Dr. Sean Davis and Andrew Kinder. Sean is the Global Director of Safety, Health, Wellbeing and Sustainability for Royal Mail Group. And Andrew is a Chartered Counselling and Chartered Occupational Psychologist, as well as a registered coach with the British Psychological Society. So before I go into their backgrounds, because they've both got lots of accolades and qualifications behind them, this podcast is specifically for men and their mental health. But if you're a female listener, don't go away because you'll have a male colleague, a male relation, or perhaps a male partner for whom some of this is going to be very relevant. And the first part of the interview, we talk about why a book was needed specifically for men and mental health. And what are some of the cultural expectations that men face that perhaps women don't face so much? Why is this becoming more of an issue now? We also talk about the workplace and the context of that and how issues from home can manifest in the workplace as well as issues arising in the workplace. And then we talk more specifically about some health issues like sleep, resilience, burnout, anxiety and depression. And there's lots that we don't talk about that's in the book. And the book is called Positive Male Mind, Overcoming Mental Health Problems. And it's by Dr. Sean Davis and Andrew Kinder. They've co-authored this. So a bit more about them. Sean is a Charter Fellow of the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. He's a Fellow of the International Institute of Risk and Safety Management, a Chartered Fellow of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, and a member of the Institute of Directors. He's got five master's degrees, an MA in Leadership and Culture Change, an MBA, an MA in Marketing and Innovation, and an MSc in Workplace Health and Wellbeing. And he's currently a trustee of three charities, the Roland Hill Fund, the Men's Health Forum and the Society of Occupational Medicine. So an extremely experienced and well-qualified chap. And his co-author is Andrew Kinder, and he is a Chartered Counselling and Chartered Occupational Psychologist. He's a registered coach with the British Psychological Society. He was awarded a fellowship from the BACP for his contributions to workplace counselling. He's an Associate Fellow of the British Psychological Society and a registered practitioner psychologist with the Health and Care Professions Council. He's published two academic books, and he's also the author of self-help books, The Crisis Book and The Wellbeing Workout. And on top of all of that, he's an experienced practitioner with about 25 years of experience working as a counsellor, mediator and coach. So these chaps really know what they're talking about. We barely scratched the surface in this interview and we are interrupted towards the end by my dog barking and we were going to edit it out, but it actually led to quite an interesting discussion. So we've left it in. So it's very much the raw interview as we recorded it. We've not edited anything out here. So enjoy it. If you want to get hold of Dr. Sean Davis, his Twitter handle is at doctor, which is dr, at Dr. Sean Davis. And Andrew's website is www.optimahealth.co.uk. That's Optima, O-P-T-I-M-A, health.co.uk. So, Sean, Andrew, welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. Great. So, Great to be here. Yeah, it was good to have you on. So the book is the reason that we're on the call, and it's called The Positive Male Mind, Overcoming Mental Health Problems by Dr. Sean Davis and Andrew Kinder, who I've got with me on the show now. Uh, it's published by Lid Publishing and it's out now. Sure, maybe you can kick us off. You know, why a book specifically for men? 
I think there's a number of reasons, really. Both Andrew and I share an interest in, in the world of mental health, particularly as we work together supporting Raw Mail, which is predominantly a male employer. Mm. And talking about what we're seeing in our previous roles, I've worked in construction and the waste sector, and I know Andrew's done a broad range of a, a number of roles in the past. And one thing that we've always seen is that the way that men connect with mental health services and the dialogue and the debates around it is very different to the way that other groups, particularly women, connect with it. And so we wanted to come up with a book that was practical, easy to access, non-preachy, more of a kind of guidebook, and that would uh, target that market that we thought would really benefit from it and that there was still more work to do in. Mm. I mean, in what way do men deal with mental health services differently? I still think there's a macho culture, and I see this within in Raw Mail and within in the other organisations I've worked. As I said I worked in the construction and the waste sector um, mm. previously, which again, predominantly male. And I think that the way that perhaps, and again, I know I'm generalising here, but perhaps some of the things that I've seen where women would talk about work, relationships, finances, just general mental health is very different to the way that men do it. And when I think about our, uh, our, for example, our employee assistance program line works at Royal Mail, if men think it's more of a a signposting and something that they go and draw down from as opposed to something that's being imposed on them, it's a different way, that the different sort of relationship that they that they have, much more selective, I would say, really, than what I perhaps I see with uh, some other groups. Mm. Uh, Andrew, what do you think on that point? I think Sean's right. I mean, the key issues are, for men, they're, they're what I would call a hard-to-help group, in the sense that things have to be pretty chronic and pretty sort of severe to actually put your hand up and say, actually, I need some help. Example being going to the GP that men as a group tend to go at the last moment when something's really chronic. And we have that for mental health as well. So we obviously run a helpline, as Sean said, for Royal Mail. And men, they sometimes come on and they're sort of saying, well, I've got a friend who's got these issues. And you tell them a bit about the service, how they can help their friend. You actually know it's about them. Mm. So it's a strange way of we kind of work with where the man is. But sometimes it's also about asking the question. So if you look at male suicide, three quarters of all completed suicides, unfortunately, are men. Mm. So it's trying to engage on the point of that mental health. And as Sean was saying, with employers with large groups of men, it's vital that the employer looks at how they can engage with men and also how you can help women encourage their male colleague or their partner to actually get some help. Yeah. I think culturally and societally, there's been a different pressure on men altogether, hasn't there? Do you think, or do you agree with that? And Sean, would you think that's changing? I think culturally and societally, there has been pressure. And I think I, I'm originally from South Yorkshire, so from the North. I see a different, still today, see a different way that men talk about mental health. I think there's these macho culture, real men don't cry, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, stereotypes that are still played out. So I still think there's a long way to go. And I still think that, that groups of people, societies, cultures and subcultures have a role in trying to help break down that stereotype and that, and that stigma. I think that very traditional northern grit of, and I think about my dad, my dad was a steel worker, 
my dad's view of I could never imagine having having a conversation with my dad about his mental health and well being, but neither could I ever imagine having a conversation with him about his physical health either, for the mm-hmm. same reason that Andrew said. So we need to help people, men particularly, appreciate that it's about making them fitter, stronger, healthier rather than weaker by addressing mental health or physical health conditions. It's not nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed by, but we've still got a way to go in terms of educating and informing men that that is the case. Yeah. I still hear relatively modern thinking men talk about their role as protector and provider. And and that's fine to have that role, but to take all of that pressure solely on their shoulders, you know, it, it should be shared with a partner unless, of course, you're a single parent. But even so, you know, we need to get away from that idea that the man is the protector and the provider. And actually, the woman performs that role as well. It's a joint role. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the pressures that men feel, it is not down to them solely, you know, or they're any less of a man if they're not protecting and providing at any time, but instead being a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. And I think that that's why when we talk about the book, we wanted women to understand the role that they play in helping men help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, just moving into some of the contents of the book that I wanted to talk about, because I think this is very relevant for our listeners. And that's, well, firstly, what are some of the common problems that you see men facing? I think in terms of common problems, the it's probably the same as men and women, actually. It's anxiety, depression, if they've witnessed a traumatic situation, Work stress, a big mm. issue, and it, but the book is very aimed at people in employment mm. or having difficulties in employment. Debt is another big area because that has a close relationship to mental health. And the stuff of life, you know, life happens, doesn't it? Mm. You, you can have conflict with colleagues at work. You can have relationship breakdown, gambling. There's so many things that people can be affected by, and they all impact mental health so kind of what we're trying to do is get it out there and i'll just add one little point to the discussion about social about society i i have a feeling that younger men are more in some way it's more permissible to talk about feelings i may be wrong Mm. maybe it's my hope that young people are more open so perhaps in schools you have more counseling or certainly if there's been a trauma like you think of Grenfell there's a huge interest in counseling and perhaps a shortage of counseling and mental health support so it's more recognized I think now yeah you know what I always think interesting I think about things like I'm not a football fan but one thing I do think about is do you remember when Gaza was seen crying on the football pitch yeah years ago and it was all over the front pages and people were talking about it and he'd not really ever been seen before etc etc I think to Andrew's point about about society moving on it being more permissible I think that generation that started to see those things as they came through started to kind of join the dots up themselves and see the the aspects of celebrity playing out in front of them but also the, the physical health mental health not being embarrassed things like Movember things like the prostate cancer awareness raising have all played a part in getting men to think and act differently around physical and mental health. But there's still a way to go. It's certainly not fixed. So there's still a long way to go. And I think we've got to guard against it being a, a kind of a, a trendy subject and make it just become part of the norm. And I think, again, to Andrew's point about it being included in schools, I'm a big supporter of that. I think until we get 
mental health awareness and resilience and education on things like the national curriculum and as a core theme in things like secondary school, university, etc. I think we'll only be partially successful. Yeah, I think you're right about the positive role modelling. I mean, you can't be it if you can't see it. If young boys are growing up looking at their fathers behaving differently and other men in mainstream society and also in the media and celebrities, then they've got something to model themselves on. So, And I do think we're getting there in that regard. Okay, let's talk specifically about the workplace because very often that is the problem or at least it's the perceived source of anxiety, depression. Or, or, sorry to interrupt you, or place where the, the home life issues manifest themselves yes good point so we see things come out play through at work that are not to do with work but they play out at work because you know someone's having a relationship breakdown financial problems problems with the children whatever 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 there's no saying it's related to work but it might come out at work so that's why you know, obviously things like our employee assistance program working with andrew and the optima team is really important because you know, we might be the signpost for those people that are... So there's a, there's a lot of talk about the pressure that work puts on people, but that, I think we need to balance that with the role that organisations play in supporting people or having challenges that are not work-related. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just thought that was a really important point to make. No, I agree with you, and I'm glad you did. Okay, so I guess irrespective of whether it's caused by work or manifesting in work, how do you help people? What advice would you give to someone to try and tackle these issues. Andrew, maybe if you can kick us off on that. Yeah, I mean, just to sort of hover above the whole workplace, it's first of all important, and the book talks about, have a conversation with a colleague you're worried about their mental health. So I think what we're trying to do here is change the culture. And that, you know, you don't have to medicalize a conversation. It can be just a straightforward, how are you? And the book talks about how to have those normal conversations and that because colleague support is absolutely essential. There's another chapter about how to keep in touch with someone who's off sick and and indeed return to work after time off for mental health issues. That can be such a big step to kind of get through their door really and have that first conversation. But certainly there's lots of help in the book about if you have a mental health issues, how to have a conversation with your manager, but about reasonable adjustments. So that is what the employee can sort of ask or expect or have a conversation with their manager about. And it gives them advice to the manager about what could be reasonable. Because in a sense, we all need some adjustment. I mean, I, I wear contact lenses or glasses. So that's a an adjustment. Without that, I wouldn't be able to see much and it would be a huge disability. So, you know, we need to think about that from a mental health point of view. If someone needs a bit of mentoring and support to help them and encourage them as they do the work, then that's a reasonable adjustment. Or a bit of extra time when doing a task or a bit of time out if they feel they're kind of ready to blow, as it were. Mm. So I think the book paints some of these pictures and helps the reader know that it's not a brick wall And as Sean was saying, this cooperation really between what the individual employee needs, but what they can do to help themselves. And then from the employer's point of view, what they need and what can they do to help the employees. So it's that conversation, which is what we're trying to highlight in the book. Mm. And what's interesting, you've, you've kind of aimed the book, both the individual who might be suffering this, but also the colleagues that might be working with that person, the manager that might be managing them, 
and the broad organization as well because there's a lot of best practice in there so i think it, it appeals to quite a number of audiences yeah and i think the criticism of some books is that it almost blames the individual yeah. and what we've tried to do is look at the system so an employee exists within a system with colleagues and managers and indeed senior managers i think the fact that this is uh, the preface or foreword is is sort of written by the chief executive of Royal Mail is fantastic. That's exactly yeah. what we want to do. So it comes from the top that there is support for mental health. I mean, I mean, John, I think that was an important point that you wanted to sort of get over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that leadership and sponsorship and support are really, really important aspects of making things like this land. Yeah. I really believe, and some of the work I do as well, if the best way to convey a message, particularly around health within an organization or behavioral change, whether it's email etiquette or leaving on time or speaking openly about mental health or whatever it is, is if it comes from the top. Uh, If somebody in the C-suite, for example, has openly talked about their experience of mental health, whether it be theirs, their partners, their families, it helps to send a message down the chain that it's okay to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I think what it also does is humanizes it. And it, and you get mm. this idea that, you know, I was talking at an event this week and we were talking about, it was actually to do with financial well-being and the link with mental health. And they were saying, you know, oh, people at senior levels, oh, well, it's not something that affects them. And someone chirped up and said, well, I've got a really senior job. You know, they were they were a finance director in a company. And they said they'd struggled financially because they'd got a big mortgage. They've got children in university. They'd got other commitments, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, they were on a six-figure salary, but they'd also got six-figure expenditure. Yeah. And that was really interesting. And, that, and we were then having the debate around breaking down stereotypes and, and images and, and getting people to humanize the story. So financial ill health is not just for people who are on minimum wage. Mental health, ill health is not just, you know, men 25 to 40. It, it's, you know, we've got to about understanding that mental health has got no respect for age, gender, orientation, social back. It can affect anybody, as we know. So I think having people come out and talk about their own experience and share their own stories is, is really empowering and, and helpful for the debates. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's talk specifically about some of the issues you talk about in the book. I mean, sleep is one that I absolutely love. I'm hugely behind the importance of sleep and how it can impact things like energy and mental health. But Andrew, maybe talk a bit about sleep as, as you refer to it in the book. Mm. Well, sleep is actually a barometer. So in itself, if you've got poor sleep, you have to think, well, why? Is that a barometer of actually other things that are going on in my life? So the starting point is also to say, what do I need to do in terms of sleep hygiene? So the number of factors, and it's amazing, actually, the number of people I counsel or, or coach where they can't sleep and they're waking up because they're thinking about work. And then you sort of look at sleep hygiene and they've got the phone by their, their bed it may be buzzing. They've gone to bed, you know, with after maybe a lot of exercise or their, you know, caffeine or alcohol, and they actually haven't got very good boundaries between the work and home. So it's all merged. I think we I've seen that a lot where the email dominates and you're never off duty. So you have to say, right, sleep is important. If I don't get to sleep and the quality of my sleep is affected, then I'm not going to be good in the morning. I'm not going to be good in the day. So it's, first of all, it's prioritizing 
how do I get a better sleep? And addressing those hygiene factors. Mm. And I think the mobile phone probably in itself is an amazing piece of technology, amazing the way we can communicate. But the expectation, we need to manage ourselves. We need to manage our own expectations of what we can do. And we need to be good role models so that we're not responding to emails at two o'clock in the morning. Or indeed, if we can help it at the weekend. You need some clear boundaries between work and home. Absolutely. I mean, I love the example of, I, th- I think it's Daimler who have an email vacation policy, which is mm. an email gets sent to you and you're on vacation. It gets destroyed. And I get a message to say it's been destroyed and possibly signposted to a colleague. But it just means that that person who's gone on holiday does not come back to a massive inbox mm. or feels they need to spend the first two hours of holiday every day going through emails so they don't come back to a deluge of email. I think that's a fantastic and arguably one of the only solutions because there is overwhelming pressure from the individual, I don't want to come back to a deluge of email, and just to keep their hand in with whatever's going on. And if the email is destroyed, that whole issue is completely taken away. So there is some best practice that we can learn from. Yeah, Yeah. there is. But there's also the fact that in terms of the emails debate, lots of things that people get anxious or antsy about, the debate's moved on by the time they come back from leave anyway. So it's almost the worst of all worlds because they're getting anxious and stressed that they're missing out on something. So they they feel they've got to stay connected or they don't stay connected. They come back, they spend a couple of hours a day catching up on two weeks worth of emails of which the debate's moved on because the person found a solution anyway. So what was it all about in the first place? Yeah. And you know what? Quite often, it's not so much a pressure from the organisation. It's a pressure the individual feels that in order to compete. Yeah, it's the expectation. So I I do think it's very much a two-way thing. But I would actually go a little bit further and actually say there's examples like something called Atos who actually banned internal email because they were concerned about the amount of time managers are spending looking at their email and not actually speaking to their staff. Yeah. So that is about cultural change where you're, you're getting people to actually communicate whether you know obviously if you're not physically next to each other certainly by phone is better Mm -hmm. than an email and and we've all seen the flame email which actually sets fire to so many different people's email box because it's totally misunderstanding so we need to really take responsibility Mm -hmm. about how we are responding to a maybe a sharp email and pick up the phone sort it out rather than emailing back yeah and there are companies that are rewarding people for actually getting up and having conversations or going back to, to true connection, a face-to-face conversation. I know another company that's got a three-email internal policy. So if I email you, you email me back, I email you again, that, that's the end of the communication. It can only go three ways. So you have to be quite to the point and pithy and comprehensive in those emails. But well, I won't go too far down the sort of email etiquette rabbit hole, but let's talk a bit about resilience because... Is it on the, on the company to help an individual develop resilience or is it on the individual? Is it a bit of a partnership of the two? Um, Sean, what do you think? I think I'm a strong believer in anything in the health and wellbeing space. You have to do it with, not do it to. That's the line I always use. So you've got to do health and wellbeing with your employees, with your family, with your colleagues, with your friends, whatever. You can't do it to them and impose it upon them. So I think it's yeah. got to be a, a collaboration. And I think if you start trying to go down the, the parent-child route, then you will get parent-child type of behaviours. And I think that's kind of not, not helpful either. So I think it's got to be something that people do 
in collaboration with the individual and the organisation. That's why I think programmes like, for example, Feeding First Class, which is the Royal Mail Health and Wellbeing programme, is really helpful because it's got a number of different strands to it that individuals can draw down on the bits that they want. So maybe something on sleep or diet or exercise or just general health promotion. And then we've got other expert partners like Andrew and Optima who we can work with, again, to get specialist advice and support. So I think, I know it's a long answer, but the short answer is it's got to be a collaboration or otherwise you'll only ever get a partial success in my view. Mm. Hmm. And I'd agree. And, and there are actually things that we put in the book about what you can do to improve your resilience or let's put it a different way, overcoming burnout. So it's developing the positive relationships in your life. So it's actually balancing the relationships that actually sustain you and give you energy. Mm. There's also about you know reflecting on your feelings and actually reframing them, sort of challenging the negative self-critical beliefs and actually looking at the positive, more self-accepting beliefs. Mm. A key area is think about what you can change at work. I mean, part of my role is I do counselling and, and coaching and often I'm finding people are trying to change something that they have no influence or control over. So it's in a sense, it's wasted energy. It's like me saying, you know, can you make it beautifully hot, 30 degrees sun right now? I mean, you know, I'd love it, but you'd love it, but you can't really. I wish. It's raining. (laughs) So it's like looking at those things that you can influence and those things you can control. So part of resilience is taking responsibility for those things in your personal life and manage your own expectations, managing time at work, looking at hobbies and interests. They're all things that are in your control. So focus on that rather than things you can't. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, control what you can. Let's talk finally about burnout. What kind of advice do you give to people who feel on a burnout spectrum? I guess before that, actually, to you perhaps first, Sean, what is the difference between stress and burnout? And how can people tell where they are on that spectrum? Before I answer that, I've got to say something about that. That's been that by far the amount of people, the majority of feedback I've had has been about the burnout chapter in the book, Mm. be that through people through work, be that people that that have bought the book and then commented on through Twitter or emailed and friends. So that says quite a lot to me about how people are connected with it. And I was surprised. I thought people might have been more about stress in general, but the burnout thing, I think just says quite a lot about where we are. I think, again, everyone's mental health and health and well-being is on a spectrum and you've got to be kind of it's going to allow people to kind of work up and down that. So I think the difference between kind of stress and burnout is, as we know, there's always stress and pressures and there's healthy, in inverted commas, types of stress that people respond to and that drive people on. But then the burnout, if it becomes all-consuming and starts creating other issues, anxiety, depression, kind of, and then pushes people to kind of self-medicate or become dependent on substances or things, it's a a problem. So Mm. I think... I know that's not a very clear answer, but I think it's about, I'd guard again saying stress is X, Y, burnout is Z, because mm. I think that you've got to allow people to kind of flex up and down that scale. One thing I would say, though, if it starts to feel too much, it starts to feel that it's becoming, creating other other behaviours, and either you recognise it yourself or other people recognise it, then then look to people, uh, professional mm. services and, and organisations, colleagues, whatever, to help you support it. I think a couple of things personally that I've recognised in myself, sleep is one of them. I 
came quite late to the realization for me, I think, that sleep is a massive part of my health and well-being. I know if I've not had enough sleep and I know how I'm not performing at my best, I make sure I get good quality food, good exercise and really good sleep. And that's one of my you know, non-negotiables. And then the other thing would be between kind of stress and burnout. And it would be about identifying when I've got stress and I've under stressful situations or challenges at work and giving myself time out to decompress and to think it through and talk things through and get things straight in my head, really, before then I, um, what's the word, kind of before it becomes more of an issue. Yeah. And I guess you're taking dogs for walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, just, I presume that was your, that was your dog. Is it yours or mine? Uh, mine are little pugs, but mine don't bark. It's so mine. Somebody's got a bark. Oh, <laughs> well, good on you. It's our fresh vegetable delivery service, which I just knew <laughs> oh. <laughs> would arrive oh. during this podcast. I mean, they gave me a tight an hour, and I thought, okay, five to six, not five to six, four, maybe five. To, anyway, never mind. We'll edit this. But, this, but, this but bit actually, out. But it's my dog. Apologies. No, no, just, just on dog walking. Sometimes when I'm on, the, on a call with a client and, you know, I hear a dog barking in, in the background, that's a great opportunity. Oh, have you got a dog? And it was almost their, their fate, I can feel their face changing yeah. because they're actually having to care for something else. Obviously, the dog gives you some positive regard, or most dogs give you, you know, positive regard, yeah. you know, no matter what you do. And, and then you've got the exercises. As Sean was saying, the physical and psychological are very closely linked. So sometimes, again, we own back to you feel terrible at work, you're very demotivated, you feel overwhelmed. But actually, sometimes it is about just taking the dog for a walk, yeah. looking at yeah. Yeah. Like mindfulness, looking at the trees, looking at the colors of the, the leaves, hearing the wind blow, feeling it on your face. These are all ways to just appreciate the things around you. Breathing and relaxation are absolutely key areas that the book's kind of highlighting. Yeah. I've seen that in my niece. I've got a 17-year-old niece who really struggled with her mental well-being through her exams. Yeah. You know, GCSE and the like. And... They, the parents, my sister-in-law, decided to get her a dog. And the dog has been fantastic in ter- for a number of reasons. Teaching her responsibility, giving her purpose, sense of purpose, which I think is a big deal. You know, to get up and feed and walk and sort the dog. But also giving her an opportunity to go out with something, not on her own, go out, walk the dog, clear her head, get some perspective on things, you know, practice mindfulness, reflections, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm entirely with Andrew on that, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And, you know, we just touched on that, that word purpose. And I think from a male or female perspective, if you've got that real sense of purpose about what you're about in life and ideally, you know, that you share the purpose of the organization you work for, that can have a profound impact on mental health, which links with sleep, which links with energy and everything else. You know, it's a lot of of talk now around purpose, but it's a separate conversation, but it's definitely, I think, relevant to what we've been talking about. We introduced some new values in Royal Mail. Be positive, be brilliant, and be part of it. Yeah, I love it. And those values, yeah, they have really, really resonated with people. And starting to see that now forming part of the conversations and the challenge and the performance reviews and all this and the other, I think is is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, in fact. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, we're out of time, unfortunately. But Sean, Andrew, thank you very much for giving us your time and, and your expertise and words of wisdom. Sean, you can be found at, at Dr, which is DR, at Dr. Sean Davis on Twitter. 
Andrew, I think you can be contacted yep. through your website, which is www.optimahealth.co.uk. That's Optima, O-P-T-I-M-A, health.co.uk. Is there anything, the book, of course, is Positive Male Mind, Overcoming Mental Health Problems, which is out now. I actually read this, I've got a sauna outside, and I read it in bite-sized chunks while I had 20 to 30 minute sauna sessions. So it's definitely, someone who, who might want to read this may not feel they've got time to read a book, and they may not be inclined to do that, but you can really consume this in bite-sized chunks. So it's very good. We'll link to that in the show notes. Fantastic. No, it's great to hear. That's that was very Thank deliberately, you. very deliberate design that people could pick it up and refer to it in chunks or read chapters yeah, at the top really Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Okay. Thank you both very much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.